Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clear Motive Marketing. Full transparency, folks. I am one of the co-founders of Clear Motive Marketing. I have had the privilege and the amazing opportunity to be involved with my current business partner, Chad Kroger, since 2010. And it has been a fantastic ride and just an amazing, amazing journey. But I'm coming here today not as a co-founder, but as a client. Over a year ago, I brought the idea of the podcast to the team, presented the challenges, presented the opportunity, presented why I was excited about it, and they worked with me to create a plan. We built a strategy, we built the brand, we built the website, and they helped me execute, and they helped me execute day in and day out as we are constantly going live with with new, new episodes. They also were a huge help in building the audience, which can be the most challenging things, whether you're a company, a product or a service, or just a new idea that you need to get out there. So we've grown organically from over 200 downloads last December to over 2,000 this December, which is an all-time record for the show, something we're really proud of, and I couldn't have done it without the ClearMotive team backing me at every step of the way. They specialize in helping brands that operate in fast-paced, highly competitive industries, which, let's be honest, is, is everyone these days, to deliver more consistently and more effectively day in and day out, something that we all know can be an incredible challenge in marketing with the pace of the always-on mindset. With offices and teams in both Calgary and Toronto, they work to make clients better marketers. So if you need a new website, a new brand, or simply a new efficient way to produce and deliver and get your get your creative and market, and get connected with your customers, give us a call and let's have a good old-fashioned chat. Check out our work and our case studies at www.clearmotive.ca. Hello and a warm collisions YYC welcome to Miss Tracy Bodnerchuk. How are you, Tracy? I'm great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We've been playing tag for a while, busy, getting busy people to sit down for an hour and have a chat. I always value it. So thank you so much. And you're coming on for a specific episode today, brand and marketing in Western Canada, which is where I bring my little my two worlds a little bit closer together. And as Alberta goes through the twists and turns that we've been through in the last five or six years, I think it's really time. And I have so many guests on that really talk about this quote unquote branding problem we have. And man, companies are expanding and doing things differently and being able to pull people in like yourself to share your insights. So for starters, you are CRO at Hopewell Residential. How long have you? Uh, how long you been in the seat at uh, over at Hopewell, Tracy? You know, it's been uh, about two years. I started off doing some consulting with Hopewell, and um, after about four or five months, uh, worked with the executive there, and then joined the team. Excellent. Well, I'm going to dive right in at it because, of course, I'm a professional creeper and I've been on LinkedIn all day reading your profile, top to bottom, getting all the information. And uh, Chief Marketing Officer, CMO to CRO. So maybe we'll just start right off the bat. Maybe talk a little bit about that and, and what, what's the difference and, 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 and why, why the pivot? You know, I, uh, I will say that I've had the opportunity to work at a lot of places, so it might take you all day to go through my LinkedIn profile. Um, <laughs> that wasn't a dig, just to be super clear. <laughs> well, it was kind of funny because it, it kind of lends into my story about why I wanted to do a pivot from being a CMO to a CRO. And I think uh, I, I've grown up in the marketing space from early days, even though I started off in public relations and communications, which in this province is uh, there's a lot of phenomenal communicators. And I sort of morphed into the marketing space and spent a lot of years in tech working with like Microsoft or JD Edwards, now, now PeopleSoft and SAP. And, you know, I always worked so closely with salespeople and really close to customers. So marketing, but very tied to revenue generation, demand generation, leads, and all that good stuff. And, you know, as I progress through my career, um, I always say I've kind of had phases. 
And the first phase was, you know, being in that tech industry, um, then a uh, number of years in professional services with the big four. Um, and now I'm sort of in this um, new realm with residential and integrated real estate. And I'm having so much fun because I've been able to broaden my portfolio outside of marketing. I read an article a couple years ago, maybe three, four years ago, about the tenure of chief marketing officers. And it was a global study that was done by the Harvard Business Review. And it was like, why is the chief marketing officer the shortest tenure in the C-suite executive? And it was literally average 12 to 18 months um, and turnover in the C-suite with the CMO position. And it talked about the different kinds of, of CMOs. And I knew when I read that article that I needed to get closer to sales, closer to revenue, and I was willing to put my money where my mouth is and actually carry a number. And if CMO doesn't always get the level of influence or opportunity to do that, and this portfolio of a chief revenue officer you're able to bring the best of all your marketing skills and talent, but also everything you've learned from working with sales teams and revenue generation and really have that intersect of sales, marketing, product, design, and sometimes customer care or customer service. And you really get to truly surround the customer with all the external facing functions. So I love this CRO position and I'm having so much fun doing it. I love marketing too. That's my, that's what I love the most, but I'm loving the integration of all of it and having even more impact on a business. I love that you shared. I love that you picked that article. I don't know how many times I've emailed that, that article to people, mainly leaders or, or CEOs that aren't understanding why their marketing leader keeps like breaking in their opinion and why they're maybe not being set up for success. If like, product is over here on its own little island. You've got sales over here, but maybe to your point, customer service. And all of a sudden the marketer gets jammed in the middle and like make the sell to this group of people while having no influence on any of those pieces. And then wonder yeah. why, why it failed. Do you, you know, do right you, do you, now, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like that. I was just going to say the role of a chief revenue officer enables you to pull all the levers. Mm. And often when you're just slotted into a CMO, you know, unless you have P&L responsibility, for example, you don't get to pull the levers. So you're negotiating with like a, a leader for sales and the leader for product, and you may not actually have the ability to influence what's needed for the customer. So it's a great portfolio. Well, such an opportunity. I like what you said, an opportunity to actually drive results and create real change versus inheriting a certain portfolio of this is the way it's been, make it work. Oh, you're just another one who didn't get it. I'm going to hire another CMO back to that sort of tenure. That's a great article. Search it out, Harvard Business Review. Anyone who's curious about it. Thinking about thinking about the complexity of that role, but even, do you know the history where CRO, like I, I went down this rabbit hole a little bit, but it's escaping me right now. Was there certain industries where that really started to get traction? I remember there's a story behind it. And if you don't know, it's okay. I'm putting you on the spot. Where, where did that emerge out of? And always thinking about what was the pain that drove that change for organizations? Or they went, ah, we've got to try this other thing. Was it a certain sector or do you have a history on that? I don't have a history on it, but I have an observation. Ah. You know, there's been all these like C-suite jobs chief marketing officer, chief communications officer, excuse me, uh, chief communications officer, CIO, the innovative officer, chief digital officer. There's been <laughs> so many of these chief roles. And I, when I look at 
the consumer packaged goods industry particularly and you see like the true P&L responsibility and accountability for conversion and direct line to revenue and direct insight to customers with product development, I see a lot of origin of the chief revenue officer in coming out of that space. Uh, interesting. I had a, I was in a presentation once with a, a brand manager from for Coors Light. And he said, like, don't kid yourself. In our world, brand manager means sales responsibility. He's like, I got a product and I had to sell it. So, you know, and it was good because a lot of people in the room were like, whoa, what do you mean? Like, you're not responsible for sales. It doesn't have sales in your title. But because it was in a fast-moving kind of consumable market, he's like, oh, absolutely. Don't kid yourself. Because if my campaigns aren't driving this activity, which exactly. is consumption... I, I'm I'm out I'm out like that and 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 there wasn't there wasn't no if ands there wasn't any if ands or buts about it. So I appreciate your obviously we're focusing on Calgary and Alberta and West and Western Canada. You've had the opportunity to work in different markets. So I know you recently come. You did. Am I correct to say you came back to Calgary specifically for the Hopewell opportunity? Yeah. At the time, I had to make a decision about. Uh, I had off, been offered another role in the big four in, uh, based in Toronto. Oh. And I also had been offered the opportunity to come to Hopewell. And, you know, my heart is in Alberta, always has been, even though I'm from Toronto. And through my career, I've transferred back to Toronto twice uh, to take on large responsibilities and organizations. And both times I've ended up back here. <laughs> and, so the, and also with everything that Alberta has been going through over the last three to five years, I want to be part of getting Alberta to a better place and the future and the transformation because I'm just passionate about this province and I want this province to be successful. We need exactly people like you to help make that happen. So I'm, gl- I'm glad you. I'm glad you decided to choose to choose choose us, as I call myself us, as I call myself at Alberta now. Looking at it from the Toronto lens, and let's we're not going to get into the East versus West, but there is oftentimes, and I encounter this, a different level of either maybe appreciation, and I'll say sometimes sophistication in terms of how marketers and companies think about the role of marketing and brand in their businesses in central Canada versus in Western Canada. Has that been an experience for you? You know, you, you know, some of the big four, they've got offices. Do you see a difference in how they act in different, in different markets? Like what's your view from the East versus West when it comes to brand and marketing? That is such a great question. And I should say, I love working in Toronto too, but it couldn't be more different. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, Toronto, both, both markets have their entrepreneurial spirit. I, I should say too, I've worked lots with the U.S. and in global markets, so not just uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel that, you know, the difference with Toronto is you just have a lot more understanding of marketing okay. than you would have in our market. And that's because our origins are in natural resource-based industry. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to get an, a phenomenal, you know, rock star corporate communications executive Look in this province because we have so much experience and expertise in the corporate comms sector. We also have phenomenal marketers too, but we've always been a comms uh, kind of discipline based on the nature of business and industry here. Whereas in Toronto, you have like heavy financial services, heavy consumer packaged goods, more B2C, whereas we got a ton of B2B. And even if you think of the industry, um, like the resource-based industry in the energy sector, the customer is like two, three layers removed, you know, when you think about the nature of that business. So you're looking at downstream, which is typically not in our province anyway. 
Right. And you think about selling a commodity where you're not trying to instill value proposition and competitive advantages. You know, so much of that business is based on how you operated, where you found your reserves, how you exploited them, how you did extraction. It wasn't necessarily going, let's show our difference. You know, I, you and I, as marketers who have sold products, it's all about the differentiation and all about understanding what the customer cares about at that minutia of where you're going to get emotional, but also practical connection. It just isn't the same in a resource driven environment. You know, people still care about how they feel about working with you, but it's definitely tied to the product very differently than if you're selling homes, for, for, for example, or, you know, motorcycles, which is something I also do in my other, in my other life. Uh, just for the sake of people listening, and I always appreciate the goal of the show is to, to expose us to things or ideas, but also to clarify. So when you say even corporate communications versus marketing, if you were going to put those, if we were going to do our two columns and say, well, this is where they're similar, but this is where they're different, just to help the audience understand, how would you define those two in an easy way of what one does versus what the other does? Yeah, I was thinking about that today. And actually, you know, I went to journalism school at Ryerson and I had a print um, focus. And so it was very natural for me. I ended up coming out West and working in the forest products sector, doing public relations. And uh, at the time it was when, you know, forestry was the lightning rod and, you know, it was a pulp mill and, and all that good stuff. And so, you know, communications then and to a certain extent now is I always see it as more about trying to drive persuasion and influence to really influence reputation more than brand. Okay. A little more heart, a little more heart and mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit more about license to operate. Okay. Whereas marketing is often more about you need to win the influence, you need to persuade, but you need people to buy. So you need emotional commitment to product compared to emotion, enough of an emotional commitment and connection to allow a company to operate. And when you think about energy, I always think about the idea that you know there is a value proposition for an energy company, but it's to a manufacturer. Yeah, it's you know, very different. As opposed to you know what I'm doing with Hopewell, where we are trying to get you know get people into homes that they love and live their lives in that really resonate uh, on a different, in a different kind of way with a fairly straightforward value proposition. Hmm. I like that. I really like what you pivoted around the license to operate and so much that's, you know, sure that exists in B2C or like more, and I don't want to say B2C or B2B, they're still, you're still consuming a product. But if you talk about resource sector, you talk about the pulp paper industry or the oil and gas sector mining, especially now more than ever, um, just curious your thoughts and obviously we're going to get into all of it today but you know when you look at our province it, it feels like we lost control of that never that narrative a bunch of years ago when it comes to that license to operate and someone else took up a, a mantle against our license to operate it felt like we were maybe got caught back we got caught flat-footed in terms of not driving that comms message and maybe being a little bit complacent and again i'm not pointing fingers but i also want to talk about realities because that's the only way we do things differently in the future so as someone who is there kind of through some of that time what are your thoughts about how you know some of the big super majors navigated themselves through those times, and we, did we did we let the naysayers get get the voice? Did they they took the voice away from us? It feels like you know it's a scary thing to ask me about because <laughs> I love our industry. I love the energy sector in Canada. I love oil and gas. I also care about the environment, but I believe we have the most ethically produced products in the world. Mm-hmm. So I have to say that because it's a story that just didn't get told okay. and it didn't get told in a relatable way. 
And I think the industry, and some will disagree with me for sure, was so worried about being perceived as greenwashing that they just didn't tell their true stories about all the innovation. And, you know, people, I mean, I always say brands are people. And, you know, I 100% agree with you. Those companies are made up of of people who care about the environment and other things. So, you know, you and I got to know each other specifically in that whole dialogue because Mm -hmm. what happened was, um, for those that are listening, I was in Toronto um, around 2017. And what was happening out here in Alberta with the narrative around the energy sector was just taken over. Um, And it's unfortunate that the industry either, and I don't know, so I'm not going to speak for the industry, but my perception was they decided to be, to be quiet and, or let others people speak for them. And it's so interesting to me because when you look at in, you know, communication that is not supportive of the energy sector, it's backed by corporations and money. So what's the difference (laughs) if the industry, you know, through its associations or otherwise talks for themselves, but I felt like the industry did a lot of really great things and was starting to go down the path of brand and marketing. And it was around that kind of 2014 timeframe. Mm-hmm. And you you saw major national advertising campaigns and brand awareness and study about the performance of the industry. And at the time, I, I was one of the first brand managers of one of the majors, um, an integrated company. And I was hired to run a national campaign that had started in, and was going to continue on with my working on it with my team and, and leadership. And what happened was when, when pricing, oil price went down so dramatically and there were fun, just layoffs. I don't know if you remember that time, Tyler. I do 2014, 20, well, basically 2015. Wasn't it June 2015 when things really started to take a left turn, if I, if I remember back correctly? Yeah, and uh, we were running a, a, a major campaign and it was very successful. And the, comp, the whole goal was just to inform and engage Canadians and to be transparent about performance. And then what happened was oil just was tanking. And so literally hundreds and hundreds of people were getting laid off every day. And I remember going into the office on a Friday, right before Christmas. And we were launching all of our new stuff in January. And I got a call the next morning at home saying it's all turned off. Oh, wow. And we went from X millions of dollars to zero in 24 hours. Now, and more importantly, you went from a, a message that was going to take ownership and own the, and like basically control this, can try to, to take control of the narrative from our perspective and turn that off as well. Forget the investment, forget everything else. It kind of stops the classic, the downturn of shutting off your marketing when maybe that's the thing you should have ramped up. But anyways, easy to yeah, say in hindsight. So I'm not, 100%. I'm not pointing fingers or being critical. I get it. Tough yeah. decisions need to be made during tough times. Yeah. And how, you know, what I appreciate about the decision that was being made was there was humility in it because it was meant to be sensitive to people losing their jobs. But at the same time, I always look back and think, what would have happened if, because like Enbridge was running a major campaign, TransCanada Pipelines was running a major campaign. The company I worked for was, it was it was Suncor. Um, the industry was speaking for itself. CAP was active. And then they just stopped. And I, I regret that because I, I hope that it might have made a difference, but who knows, right? 
It certainly left a lot of room for, and, and we're not going to talk about the negative or the anti-marketing or the, some of the other, you know, thoughts around that. But man, there was a, there was another voice that came in pretty loud, not not long after that, back to that sixteen seventeen. Because you're right, when there's also space, it's it, it, you're caught. Yeah, oh, interesting. Yeah. At the provincial level, any thoughts, even from that perspective of you know what is in Alberta, that that kind of approach. And I appreciate your being like really boots on the ground and being that close to something that was a what like well, what what if we would have done that if we would have lost the perfect left turn, right turn moments. But over the years, you know, obviously, what do you think from a provincial a provincial level and marketing and branding in terms of who we are and what we are all about instead of just a bunch of you know rednecks in Alberta? I'm speaking. From that, from a from a central Canada perspective, I knew nothing about an Alberta until I moved here, for sure. As as pleading my own ignorance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I feel like Alberta is in this really interesting transformational time, mm-hmm. and the pandemic aside, that we are rebranding ourselves as a province. And the unfortunate thing is the timing of the pandemic, and right now it's hard for anybody in any provincial government to be dealing with anything other than that. But at the same time, everything got backburnered for, for good reason. A hundred percent. But at the same time, we've got to do something, you know, I've been watching Calgary economic development and I'm so impressed with what they're doing to, I'll call it rebrand repositioned Calgary Mm -hmm. with, you know, they've got a strategy, they've got a business plan. They're focused on where we're going to grow and they're taking that to market. And they're marketing the you-know-what out of that. And you yeah. can see it, like with Infosys coming in and bringing 500 jobs. Like that's a major, mm-hmm. you know, service provider tech company that's chosen to come here. We just got, you know, voted by the Economist um, Livable Index as the, you know, the top city in, in North America, I believe, to live in. Calgary Economic Development is an example of, you know, just really having a plan, having a strategy and taking it to market. And they're going outside of typical jurisdictions to do that, which I think is a huge part of our transformation. And when you think about something like Infosys, you know, mCloud, those ones, those didn't happen by accident. Those companies could have chose to gone everywhere. Like somewhere there was a sales process, somewhere that got on somebody's radar, they made a call, they came and did a tour. It was presented in a way that they said, yeah, this is the right place. It's interesting. Any thoughts on, I was chatting with somebody yesterday in an executive group around the reality of our mobile workforce. And yes, there will be some return to the office, but there will be some companies that will still stay with a high degree of remote. And this was an individual that just bought a brand new home in Calgary, like, you know, in slightly inner city for basically his, less than what he would have paid for his 20 year old condo in downtown Toronto. And he's like, my friends look at me and they're like, why would I stay in downtown Toronto if I could move to Calgary, but still work in Toronto? So any, any thoughts on that? And I'm only asking that's, that's, we're going on a little bit of a different rabbit hole, but that does come back to the brand of our city. Like if we're going to be attractive from a cost of living and a quality of living, do we see as that as a potential other way to position ourselves as yeah, like, Hey, you can come live here. Hopefully you could work here, but you can work anywhere now. I don't know. It just, it just feels like it changes the dynamic a little bit and makes the smaller town, which we are compared to Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, or certainly Toronto, Vancouver, we are the smaller, lower cost place to live with this great quality of life and less traffic. Like that's a hard, that's a pretty compelling value proposition by itself. You know, it's such an awesome opportunity though. Like even if you think about you and I and like, so you, your agency, Clear Motive does all the work for Hopewell Residential. You guys do an amazing job. Sorry, had to do that plug there. Thank you. No, thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) So much more credible if you say it than if I say it. (laughs) But you know, I remember when we, when we started to, for Hopewell, 
residential deal with the beginnings of COVID and the pandemic. And you and I have a, having a conversation about how, how our business was growing and we needed additional things from you. And you and I had a whole dialogue about it didn't matter where mm-hmm. the people were. You remember that? I do. Very, yes, I very, very clearly. I probably could go back in my calendar and find the day we had that chat. Because yeah. that felt like a make or break moment of like, we had this thing happen to us. How do we actually turn it into an advantage? And we did. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so you guys did a pivot and with your Toronto office. And we now have um, a Calgary team and a Toronto team, but we're all working virtually. So it really doesn't, doesn't matter where people are located. I just hired or my, my marketing leader, Nicole, just um, is working with our new market analyst. And we did a lot of interviewing for analysts. We ended up hiring a woman from Vancouver who oh, has really? just moved to Calgary. And the reason we hired her was because she was doing, you know, market analytics and marketing analytics and had worked in multiple jurisdictions, but wanted to move to Calgary to be with her boyfriend and to have an affordable lifestyle. So we can get the best talent and uh, leverage all kinds of people from all over the place. It's awesome. Which I think that, uh, yeah, I think that's got a lot of runway and I think it's going to, we're going to see there's, you know, we all don't know what the future is going to look like. It's going to look different than the past, which I'm excited about. And I think that we've got some strong value propositions here. So with that, with that uh, feels like a natural pivot. I've talked to a lot of companies on the show that are talking a lot more about like, man, our customers of the future aren't our customers of the past. They might be even, they might be in the same province, but they're in different areas, different verticals. They're outside. I'm getting a lot more conversations around like, well, geez, I guess we better bring, like, what what, what role do you think marketing can play? What about digital? Oh, by the way, we used to do 10 trade shows a year. Now we're doing zero. And so I'm really excited about that because it seems to be bringing marketing a little more to a table in a province that was a little more comms and sales related, which I really, I agree with you 100%. Marketing is starting to play a bit. so from your perspective, thoughts or ideas around maybe what that looks like and, and even just blatantly some advice for companies that are bringing marketing to the table for maybe the first time, like tangibly and, and tactically for the first time in their business. It's been fascinating to watch um, the pandemic's effect on the housing industry. And I will say that anybody who's in our space is thinking, especially uh, in commercial real estate, are thinking about how people work how people are working, where they're working and how that changes. And then if you can imagine when you're designing a home, the considerations you have, if you're schooling from home, working from home, like we are very much pivoted in terms of how homes are made and our homes are made to live. We are also seeing, interestingly, you know, your, um, our number one metric in this industry has always been traffic. So like how many people can I drive through the show home? And you know, we're, if you know much about going into show home parades or communities that are when you're looking, you know there's going to be a donut truck or a face planer or balloons or free hot dogs because yep. you have to do everything you can to get people there to see new homes, to get people who are walking out with their kids. You know, maybe their house is too small, but they're not going to make a change. It's been all about driving traffic, right? Well, we had already done a very significant pivot at Hopewell right before the pandemic. And we basically did a digital transformation with all of our sales and marketing. And thank God we did that because our biggest metrics now are appointments, you know, book an appointment, 
do a virtual tour and we book all those things and we measure all those things. Like who would have ever thought that you would have this complete shift from seeing a house to seeing a video of a house to doing a virtual appointment. Like homes are are such a good example of someone being like, well, I could never buy a house without seeing it. I could never not go to the bank to do my transactions. Like if you think about everything that was an impossible, that all of a sudden we just like, I do love the pandemic's ability for disrupting what we thought wasn't possible. That's (laughs) right. It literally flipped it on the head. And especially a home is such an interesting thing as a consumer, because arguably the biggest purchase you'll ever make in your life next to a car. And people are starting to buy cars virtually. So I think it's so interesting. And like, I like what you said about if we want people to, if people want, not even if we want people to, if people want to live in this digital world, then we have to think about how we're getting into their life in a digital way because we're consuming content all the time. How do we then show up in that narrative or that, sorry, flow of information in a way that naturally leads them to like, oh, I guess we can just do a virtual tour, honey. We don't have to go down there or, or whatever the case may be. And uh, man, I man, what is it? Five years and five months. Like there's all the sayings about what happened in COVID, how that specific thing got accelerated. Yeah. Well, so when we, you talk about, yes, yeah, so what do you say to companies that are like, man, you could never buy my product without seeing it. Like, what are you talking about? That's impossible. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a couple of really key things. One of them is digital transformation. So it doesn't mean you have to have every crazy software and a massive team and all the rest of it. But it doesn't really matter what service or product people want. The amount of research they do before they ever talk to you is extraordinary. It is. So any means you have to understand what your targets are doing online, the better. So if you don't have a marketing department with a digital team, like call Tyler and talk to him about his... (laughs) You know, digital you. analyst. This is this is turning out to be one of my favorite episodes, Tracy. Strangely <laughs> enough, <laughs> but I'm saying those resources are available. Or if you're going to make a marketing investment, you know, we we tend to think of brand and marketing as like advertising campaigns and logos and colors and and things like that. And if you really want your marketing and your and your your brand to come through with your mm. marketing, with your value proposition, your brand promise, and your products and services then you need to know what people are looking at and understanding what's important to them as your target. I think one of the biggest challenges we have right now with COVID and will continue to have is all of this online um, work and, ha- and habits that our prospects and customers, um, I guess, are, are sort of developing in, in online is it's really hard to maintain the emotional connection. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it like it can easily easily become transactional. Yeah, you, know, you right. have to like yeah. sort of get that hook and trigger to bring people in, and you still need your team to deliver on whatever the promises of your product and who you are, right? So we can book as many appointments as we want, but if I don't have passionate salespeople who are really vested in people getting the houses of their dreams, then it's not going to work, right? So you still need to have that. So for anybody who's got a business and are thinking about it. I think the other thing is um, the whole idea of market analysis and and analytics, it seems so straightforward, but it's just so critical. Like if you want to go into the US or or even another province, you've got to do all that due diligence, even if you're a small, smaller business and you don't even have to get an analyst or a market analyst. If you got a great finance analyst, somebody who can go look at market data and really understand the size of your market. So you're clear as to who you're going, who you're going after and how many 
you know? The opportunity, the market size, what's the investment? You yeah. know, there, I've talked to a lot of companies that are being forced and also they're doing it because they're, you know, Albertans are, incre- Albertans are cre- incredibly resilient, but you're going into another market or going, well, we need to go to the US or we need to go overseas. I've had a few guests on the show and we kind of started with how many guests in Canada, how many customers in Canada? Zero. How many in Alberta? Zero. How many, where you're, you know, Asia, Germany, and these are not only different, like, but culturally as well, not to underestimate, you have to do like the nuance, the between the lines stuff is so important in how you message and how you sell. And it's going, it's not, it's not that it, how it's different It's it's going to be different and you need to unpack that. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It can be, it can be pretty overwhelming if you really treat it for as how much weight it has, but it's also easy to not, and then have a bad experience. And we're not, we're in a cycle where we've been back on our heels for five or six years. Companies take these big jumps. You need to do your diligence so you can be like increase your odds of success in my mind, to put it simply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course have great relationships, uh, like where you're going, leveraging the relationships you have. Um, I was doing a market event. I I do a lot of market analysis. I always have. I'm a bit of a data junkie. And I always say that there's the art and the science of marketing. And if you just do one or the other, it's not usually a good, good situation. You need both. And I like to, wherever I can, go get local knowledge. So call that, you know, I was evaluating a market recently and was speaking with the president of the Chamber of Commerce, you know, mm-hmm. various, I guess, sort of organizations in the community, mm-hmm. uh, somebody on the city council and so on, and just phone calls and saying, we're thinking about doing something, love to have a chat. You'll be amazed what people will tell you. I love how you brought that down to like, don't forget that you can still just pick up the phone. Like you can still have a conversation. I love talking about the chamber or, you know, an EO chapter or a tech chapter or any of those places where they're really, those groups, you know, sometimes politically you might get an agenda or you might get a storyline. But when you talk to business groups, they're the ones who are dealing with the people that are really making it happen. The small, medium businesses that are slugging it out that, you know, success or failure kind of almost awaits around every, every corner. But I really love, it's really to be overwhelmed. Like, oh, I got to get all this data and I have to do, I have to, you know, pay for a survey. And sometimes it makes it feel inaccessible for someone who isn't used to valuing those things that maybe what they actually cost. You and I know to do proper research, it's expensive. It's but to pick expensive. up, to spend a couple of days on the phone and, and say, well, who else should I talk to? They're going to give you three other names immediately. I know that's certainly what would happen in Calgary because that's one of our superpowers. You reach out to somebody and ask for help. They'll give you three more people that can help you. Yeah. you know? But I do believe when you tap into the business communities in, those, in these jurisdictions you're talking about, they're all there to be successful too. And I think that's a really great strategy that feels like there's no barrier. Anyone can do that at any level from a solopreneur to a, you know, a, a, mid, a mid-sized company. Somebody can just pick up the phone. And usually, you know, you'll, you'll <laughs> always it. get a surprise. Make sure you always bring something you can offer too so that it's a reciprocal conversation. Um, yes. It's so important. But the other thing too is that often things, you, you'll find that there's a component of your perspective that will always be validated because usually we're instinctually, we kind of know. And then there's stuff that we don't know at all. So it's also <laughs> very interesting to meet new people, I think. As someone who's obsessed with doing podcasts, I couldn't agree more. I love, there's no podcast I get off and I don't go, oh, wow, I never thought of that that way. Even if I had thought about the thing, I probably didn't think about it in the way that that individual shared it with me. And there's, and there's be open to that learning and be open to that opportunity. Uh, question for you, and I, this is delicate for maybe both of us to talk about, uh, because clearly we don't have any problems with it because our teams are amazing. How's the talent pool access for you looking for marketers in, in, in Western Canada versus, because I know in Toronto, you can find top notch. I, I wouldn't look for a reservoir engineer in downtown Toronto and sometimes looking for a senior CMO with X amount of experience in a certain sector in Calgary can also be challenging. Even though there's amazing people here, I'm treading on really, really thin ice right now. 
But let's be honest that I've had a lot of conversations with companies that are like, you know what? especially in the tech sector, I'm challenged. I can't find a product manager with 10 years experience. I can't find this because they just haven't existed here before. So when you think about marketing and comms, because you talk about comms being really rooted here, and I agree, I know a lot of good comms people. Have you, has there any challenges, you know, or uh, that you're aware of or that you've seen that uh, obviously could be, we could improve on? There are some very strong marketers in our city and in Alberta we definitely need more. Mm. It's v- especially product marketing. Yeah. Very difficult to find product marketing here. Um, and I would say that the marketers that, you know, for those of us that are in the field and there's at, at all levels, we have to work with our executives and our leaders to invest in the marketers that we have and to get them training, get them upskill, let them do creative, yeah. challenging work. And I also feel that communications people have great aptitude with marketing. So I remember actually hearing on one of your podcasts, um, I think it was Mary Nenshi talking about re- that how a reservoir engineer is really a data scientist. Uh, yep. And I thought that was a brilliant, uh, brilliant comment. And I and I think of marketing and communications professionals here. I see it the same way because I I feel like comms and marketing have very similar aptitudes. Mm-hmm. However, it's really hard to, to bring the sales aspect into that when you're repurposing resources. But I do feel that we need to attract and bring in marketing talent. And even when I was, when I was uh, looking to come back to Calgary a couple of years ago, and I was looking to come back in a senior position, and I remember somebody in the city say, saying to me, there's no jobs here for you. You'll, there's never, you'll never get a job here at your level doing your the kind of work that you do because there aren't any. And I was well, like, that, yeah, what? Sorry, I, I asked that question without thinking through the fact that you were exactly that senior talent that we got to bring back to our city. So I, I kind of asked that realizing like, yeah, you were an example of somebody that your organization probably was having trouble finding. You were worried you weren't going to find them. So, you know, you, you actually were exactly that, 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 uh, that, that example. Well, and you know what was really cool hmm. was that I knew that when you start to talk to people about business and like, growing your business, increasing your revenue, expanding your footprint. It's business conversation and it's business language. That's another reason why I wanted to be a CRO and not just a CMO, because I want to be part of the business and driving the business. And it's very easy to put marketing at the end of the table and not think of it in that way. And I was so fortunate uh, that Hopewell had that mindset and was willing to create the role of a chief revenue officer and bring together all of these functions so that it could have a bigger impact on the business. Mm-hmm. Now you made the comment about, you know, if you've got marketers and comms people in your organization, also you need to support them and grow and they need to get educated, but I'm going to put it out there and I'll put the challenge out. If you're a business leader, founder, uh, CEO, whatever level, you also need to understand the role that marketing can play as a partnership with your sales, especially in B2B, which we have a lot of that here, that, that enablement, I don't want to use sales enablement because that kind of means something else. But if you think about the amount of, and you said it, like some of the statistics I've seen recently about, you know, the amount of data and like how far 
our customer is down the buyer journey before they ever reach out to that salesperson. I saw a graph recently where they took you know the exploration and the, and the and the comparative stage and said, well, you know, awareness stage is kind of the same and purchase stage is the same, but over the last couple of years, that middle section has grown significantly in the amount of time and the amount of individuals. What is it? Eleven stakeholders typically involved in an average like mid-sized B2B decision-making, and each one will bring four to six pieces of information to the table. Your poor salesperson can't manage those 11 people. So that's where you need a marketing journey. You need automation. Back to just like you said, it's not about the tools, but it's about knowing what the journey is and then using the tools to augment that. Like, don't yeah. try to solve one with the other. It's like, don't try to buy a project management software if you don't know how to manage a project. It won't solve your problem. Yeah. Also, marketing. There's a lot of there's a lot of like promises out there. Buy this platform, solves all your problems. You still need to understand what's going on. Then the platform makes it better. But I, it's it's kind of blown me away recently. Of like, I always used to get a little bit up. Okay, transparency. When someone had sales and marketing on their business card, I was like, all right, tell me a little bit. Because oftentimes it was a salesperson who bolted the word marketing onto their sales card. And I was like, as a marketer, I was a little bit miffed and you know, tried mm-hmm. to be a little uppity about it. But now I think that is the relationship. It is sales and marketing together. Back to your title of CRO, but even an organization where sales has kind of been the main breadwinners because they were. And then marketing, unfortunately, was maybe a junior designer that got hired and then got expected to be the master of everything and then mm-hmm. set them up for failure. If you bring those two together as this, right? I just all of a sudden pulled out my soapbox here, I realized. Uh, if you bring those two together, the power that one can do to actually support the other deliberately, man, that's the, I don't think we have, the companies that don't won't be successful, I think. Well, <laughs> and and then, I will, sorry, I'll step off my soapbox. <laughs> I, I think it's so true. And when you have an integrated group like that, with singular leadership that's at with part of the executive and has that accountability, then you're all motivated the same way and you're not competing. You're just all driving in the same direction and the same objective. I am so lucky. I got really classically trained in marketing with Microsoft. I was at Microsoft for almost five years and um, I worked with some of the best salespeople, like enterprise software salespeople in North America and really skilled, talented people. And Microsoft was more of a product company at that time. And so product actually, you know, was instilled in us knowing and understanding the customer as a marketer and working with these skilled salespeople. And it was completely integrated and all about lead generation and demand generation. And I'm going back to like 2005. When those terms weren't prevalent in in normal uh, vernacular. Yeah. No, they weren't. Zero. They were not. And so I got classically trained like really early in my career. So I kind of had that wiring in my head to be really tied to sales and really connected to marketing. And I've brought that through in my professional services roles as well as where I am today. And I, I do think you make a major point, Tyler, you know, I, I can understand finance to a certain degree, but when a CFO starts going down the path on a whole bunch of other stuff in their vernacular, Mm -hmm. I don't understand that. Like break it down for me. And it's like the discipline of marketing is a, is a mystery. Right. (laughs) And so it's like, (laughs) what do people attribute it to? They talk about advertising and events and, and all these kinds of things, but it's much more complicated than that, especially with digital now. Mm-hmm. I think the other piece I would share is if a brand is not operationalized, then it won't have the impact for your business that it needs to. And so the rest of the C-suite 
and the organization needs to at least understand that, embrace and operationalize the brand, or it won't be authentic. And then it won't deliver for the business. Well, I'm going to argue that it's not actually a brand. It's just a marketing campaign. <laughs> if it's not operationalized, you know what I mean? That's that, 100%. Are we, and that's so, but what I'm hearing so much as well too, is what we're really talking about is breaking down silos and we're yes. integrating because to the customer, you're not a bunch of divisions. You're an experience. You're an end product. You're a call center that didn't answer the phone. You're a salesperson that didn't get back to them. They're a product that didn't do what they thought it was going to do. You know, in your, in your case, it's, it's a home that didn't provide the joy that was intended when you create a, it's so interesting what you sell because you, you're selling this timber and cement and concrete, but what you're selling is this experience. You're selling a place for a family. Like it's so interesting when you unpack what you're really selling the future, that, you, that, that, that you wrap up it. Yeah. You wrap up in, 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 in wood and nails and, and, and siding and, and cool, beautiful fixtures and, and great and great coverings. <laughs> but it's so interesting what you're really, what you're really selling the old joke. You know, I'm not buying the drill bit. I'm buying the hole because that's what I actually need. <laughs> yeah. It's really about people, how they live, how they want to live, what they aspire to, what they're proud of, what they want their home to be. It's actually, I've never had so much fun in terms of what I get to work on every day and the creativity of, of what we do. It's the, the toughest job you'll ever love, isn't it? I think they stole that from the Marines, but <laughs> something like that. No, but the ability, I like what you heard, right? If you go back to the beginning of your ability to have impact across the organization at multiple points and really create the end experience right from the product. And when you, if you're a company listening to this and you're thinking about, well, what role marketing can play, I, I don't think that's the right question. I think it's, you know, how do we create an experience that, that augments what we're delivering to the customer who we need to understand better at all times? How are the sales people getting set up to win in a much more complex, Complex, much more longer duration. You know what I read that the average B2B buyer's journey is 102 days long and 45% of people after the purchase still feel they made the wrong decision. Like there's a way we can make that better as companies for our customers ultimately. And coming out of COVID, I think has really set us up because it's kind of like the, the it's like the, the board got wiped off and we can, we can rewrite things right now. And that's, I'm going to choose to be very excited about it from that perspective, no matter what size of company you're at or industry. And I think, I think the, the slate has been cleared. <laughs> Well, I'm very optimistic about, you know, Alberta and sort of our journey and how we're planning to reinvent and how reinventing is already happening. It is. I, I feel agree. like we just got to get through this this pandemic so that we can <laughs> really focus energy and, and our time um, on our, what we're doing in our future. And I think I think our brand story is changing out there. And it's well, first of all, it's changing here. And if it's not going to be changed here, it won't change, quote unquote, out there. And you know, you and I have lots of friends on in Central Canada, Quebec, you know, Toronto. Mm-hmm. If you ever yep. want to know what they think, just ask them. They'll let you know what they think about Alberta. Because I'm seeing a lot of shifts here. And we are. Someone made a quote the other day. I was a technology. Um, leader uh, does a on the specialist in digital education which obviously is a huge thing right now and he said he's been in the tech industry in Calgary 21 years he goes we've always been trying to be the silicon valley of alberta he goes finally we're trying to actually be calgary and I thought that was a really cool, like, you know, from someone who'd yeah. been in the tech sector for 20 years before it was a tech sector to hear him say that. And like, that's a brand and like, don't try to be someone else or don't try to wait for someone to swoop in and kind of save us. Let's figure out who we're going to be and then be that. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, I've also heard we're, t- we're 10 years late to a 20 year plan, but I think in the last couple of years, you know, since doing this, starting doing the show, the people I talked to, the vibe has changed. There is a different energy here. There is more diversification. And the fact that our energy sector didn't come back as fast as maybe we all wanted also created space and necessity 
opportunity for some of these other elements to get going and create some of that diversity, which again, if you got to choose a silver lining in it, that's the one I'll, that's the one I'll choose. And I'm with you. I'm very, very, very bullish on where we're headed. And I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak it to whoever, whoever will listen. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I really want us to have a thriving energy sector and have a thriving, diverse economy and awesome. room for all, you know, and if we can just work on all of those things, if if we don't start to speak up for ourselves and we don't start to defend our industry in a different way that actually resonates, though, there's a heart and soul here that is tied to energy and the energy sector. And that's part of who we are, too. But it's not all we are. And I feel like that's the that's the new story that needs to be told. Yes, more than that. But yet that's still pretty good. Like, let's not underestimate. Yeah, let's let's capitalize on what we're, there's things in this province that we're amazing on, amazing at, it's like the reservoir engineer who's also the data scientist. There's 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 hundreds of examples of that if you wanted, if you wanted to lay it out. So, and I think that story is happening. And Me too. So awesome to have you on the show. I'm, I'm super jazzed up now. I'm just I'm falling in love with being a marketer just in this moment. It's great. <clears throat> the power and the influence you can have to really move the needle for organizations by how you, you know, orchestrate and create that journey and experience for your customers. What is the best way for people to get hold of you? One, I'm sure they're excited to just talk to you. Two, if they're curious about buying a home, what is the best way for them to uh, track you? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm on LinkedIn. So anyone is welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. And of course, hopewellresidential.com is our website. Um, and I just thank you too, Tyler. It's been really fun. I was I was quite uh, nervous about doing this podcast. This is not something I normally do, but it's been really fun. Thank you for stepping just like you were, I don't know, you seemed like a natural to me, but thank you so much for coming on. And I'm, uh, I think you shared some amazing insights today. It was a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler.